What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Mind the Innovation. I'm your host, Sana Vinding, and I'm always excited to learn. Um, and in today's podcast, we're going to talk about leadership and understand the larger ecosystem where you work. I want to welcome Mark Herzberg. He's an MIT instructor, fractional CTO, and also the author of the book, The Career Toolkit. So, so welcome, Mark. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to sharing some tips with your listeners. Yeah. So uh, let, let's talk about leadership because it's about communication, it's team building, it's networking, it's negotiation. So how do you define leadership? To me, I really go with most essence of leadership, the most fundamental thing that defines leadership. To be a leader, you have to have followers. I know that's almost tautological, It seems overly simplistic, but that's really the essence of what leadership is, is having other people follow you. Now, doing that effectively, you have to employ all these other skills. But in terms of definition, that's the one I like to use. Yeah. So communication and leadership skills goes together. Um, and But but the whole communication, right? It's it's how do you learn that? Uh, I'm an engineer. Uh, so I know I'm, I'm structured in a certain way <laughs> um, and I can make fun of that. So that's fine. Uh, but but with, with to learn, you know, the leadership and the communication, right? It's not like you read one book or then you memorize it and then you're like, oh, right. Give me, you know, my A plus and I'm done and I'm good at it. So what's um, how, how do you teach it and how do you get better and, and improve your skills here? Yeah, really good question. Now, I'm an engineer myself. And from having taught this for 20 plus years at MIT, one of the challenges is the way I first looked at and the way my students do is, what's the formula? Yeah. What's the formula for leadership? What's the write algorithm? It, write write it down, right? <laughs> yeah, right? There's a simple thing. I just write it, memorize it, done. Then, But yeah. as you pointed out, there isn't a simple algorithm. There's no rules. In fact, one of the reasons I wanted to get into a leadership position is because it's more challenging. Engineering, there is a right way to design a plane. There's more than one, but you just have to make sure your lift is greater than the gravitational pull on your weight. You yeah. do that, it flies. Okay, right or wrong way, but there's no one right way to network. There's all different ways. There's no one right way to lead. Yeah. And so that's what makes it so interesting. So when we want to learn these skills, we have to employ a different technique. We can't just memorize those formulas. The analogy I use is sports. So let's think of football, mm -hmm. European football in this case, okay. soccer, as the Americans <laughs> call it. The way you learn football, you don't just say, okay, someone sits down and says, here's how the game works. Here are the rules. You're ready to play. Done. <laughs> you also don't say, okay, well, we're going to send you to a two-day football clinic. Great. You went to the clinic. You know everything you need to know about football, done. Now you can be a professional football player. Yeah. And yet, what do we do with people in our companies? We say, well, you're getting promoted. Yeah. You've seen people lead, right? Okay, you're you're good. Or we say, oh, hey, we're going to send you a training. We're going to send you to this two-day training class. Good, you took the training, done. Forevermore, you know how to lead. <laughs> right, that's silly. So just like in sports, we need to do regular training. 
We also do different types of training. You might do drills. You might do scrimmage games. You might watch the tape, see what other teams do, see what you do, and you have your plan. So how do we replicate that? The best thing to do is to create peer learning groups. And I give on my website, there's a free download how to create this, but here's the idea. Yeah. I recommend groups of about six to eight people, but you can do it in larger sizes if you want. And you get together and you get some content. So yes, you can use my book and you can divide it up and say, we're going to read these 10 pages this week. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book, use online content, use articles, use a great podcast like this one. You listen to the episode and you come together and discuss it. And let's say we all just read something or listened to something about leadership. We come together and, okay, what do you get out of it? Oh, that's a really interesting point. I get it. I heard something totally different, but you really helped me understand it in a different way. Yeah. Someone might say, hey, I have a leadership challenge. Here's what I'm trying to do with my team. So this is where we're going to get that scrimmage. That scrimmage yeah. is, okay, she's got a challenge. Let's all work with her and help her figure it out. Because here's the thing about leadership. I can't go lead for an afternoon and then say to my team, okay, do over. You know, that, that didn't work, but that was only pretend leadership. So just forget everything I did. <laughs> we can't do that in real life. But when she's doing it and we talk to her about, hey, here's what I might try and what are you going to do and what are you thinking about? And okay, let's know how it goes. Yeah. That's kind of like scrimmaging. That's how we get some practice. And someone might even say, hey, here's what I did. Two yeah. years ago, I was in a similar situation. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. That's like watching the tape. And of course, we can drill. We can do for some of these things, we might do a case study. We can get those case studies. We can get these real situations and go through them. So we can use all these techniques. And when we're doing a regular cadence once or twice a month in our group, that's just like getting that regular training that you would get where you're a professional soccer player. So yeah. we can apply these same ideas and continue to upskill us. And by the way, if you do this, you're, there's a number of other benefits. You can do this across your whole organization. Not only are you upskilling everyone, you are better engaging your team, your employees, especially now during the great resignation with all this turnover, people yeah. like that. You're going to foster internal networking. We all know how important internal relationships and internal networking is. And you create a common language so everyone can refer to this concept, this model, this idea that they all heard about on the show or read in the book. And that increases your ability to communicate in the organization. And again, all of this completely free. There wasn't a single thing for you to buy. Maybe you get a book, but again, if you want to use free content, use that instead. Yeah. So you can get all these great benefits at no cost. Yeah. I, so I like the where you're saying, create that community or, or that group, right, of peers. I created actually um, a group um, where we meet every month, just virtual. And I have one from Europe. I have one from the East Coast. I have people on the West Coast, just a handful of people. Um, and we meet and then we build up this trust um, that you can also ask vulnerable questions and saying, hey, this is actually not working. What have you done? But of course, it takes time to, to, to get to these questions in the beginning. Now that it's general questions or challenges you talked about, we do we did talk about heavy um, challenges, but it's just fun when reflection and now looking back, how you go deeper and deeper when you actually are within a group that you trust and have done it for, for, for a long time. So what, what kind of group are you members of? I want, I want to hear that about that. I'm a member of lots of different groups, but yeah. the most valuable ones I have found, and I have an article I wrote on this, are what I call private 
high trust organizations. Okay, what do I mean by that? Yeah. They are organizations in which they're not just open to anyone. Now, I'm a member of certain groups. For example, IEEE. That's what a lot of electrical engineers, computer scientists, we join yeah. and you pay some money each year and you get the newsletter. And it's a great group and it helps you keep up with what's happening in the world. But that's not a private group. Anyone who wants to pay them, you can basically join. Yeah. So the groups I'm thinking of, the two that were most useful, the New York CTO Club and a community called Renaissance Weekend. Renaissance Weekend, it's not the Renaissance Fairs. That's what You're most people think. You're not dressing up, no. <laughs> yeah. Those are fun too. I do like going to those. Renaissance Weekend, more akin to TED Talks. Yeah. Or Summit Series is a newer one. This was the original and it started 40 some years ago. The key thing, unlike TED Talks, it is invite only. And it's completely off the record. Yeah. Now, the reason they do off the record, partially back in 1980 when they started, there was no way to put all the information out. And Ted, by the way, it's great that these brilliant ideas go out everywhere and they're accessible to everyone. Yeah. The philosophy of Renaissance Weekend is we could have more genuine conversations. And I have heard politicians and CEOs and people say things, no way they would ever say in public. Yeah. But there's that high trust in the group. We know yeah. everyone respects confidentiality. Same thing in New York CTO Club. Someone can say, hey, I have a problem with my CEO or we're looking at doing an acquisition. This can't really be public, but we are a small group, invite only, so everyone is vetted and we have high trust. And that allows us to have these types of conversations that you mentioned. Yeah. So those are the best groups, invite only, high trust. I can only agree. That's awesome. So back to uh, educating around the topic of leadership and communication and negotiation. Um, how how do you teach it to engineers? What what are some if you look back and saying, oh, this was one of the it could be your aha moment, or it could actually be for your students where you were like, oh, that was their aha moment. When when you look back, what what happened? This is what we've been doing in this class, the referred to at MIT as the Career Success Accelerator. This was specifically designed to get those aha moments. Yeah. And so we don't do it by lecturing, by saying, here's the general concept. We have them role play and yeah. do things. We put them in small groups. And sometimes we use the actual case studies, the same that you can buy. Sometimes we, we've created our own or certain situations. Yeah. So for example, we have trying to think of, of one. I don't want to spoil it for other people. One of the things we do is a skyscraper game where we say to them, here's what you have to do using certain materials. You need to build the tallest structure you can in a certain amount of time. And you have a limited amount of money. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we put a water bottle up top and we're going to the earthquake test is where we're going to tip it a certain percentage yeah. and make sure your structure is sound. Of course, basic engineering says, make sure the center of gravity is over your base and, and you're okay. And they focus on that and they do that math. They figure out the structure and they figure out different ways they can build and how to optimize the money. And they're good at the engineering. What they forget is they spend so much time figuring out the math and the engineering and debating the different things. They often run out of time to actually go get the supplies and then yeah. cut them and form them and actually build the thing. And there is a scramble every time. And so often there are teams saying, 
oh, you know what? We're only building half as tall as we planned because we're just out of time or just something wasn't well planned because students, of course, undergrad students, you don't think long-term, you think maybe two weeks ahead to the test and that's about it. And so the sense of project management hasn't been instilled in them. Now, those, those of us in the working world, we know we've learned how to do six months, 12 months ahead. Yeah. But the way to get them to learn is to give them that, oh, damn moment of we're out of time. Burning that, platform. <laughs> yeah. And we actually want our students to fail in these activities because it's in that moment of failure that they say, but we did the math right. Oh, maybe it's not just about the math. Yeah. And that's when we open them to the possibility there are these other skills that matter. And then we come in and explain what went wrong, what you could do to go right. And yeah. that's where they learn. So really for teaching engineers, have them do and fail because engineers are very good at trying to understand failure. <laughs> and I think that's how you teach them. Okay. What about you? Did you have to pivot over the many years of how you actually then was teaching um, based on, of course, how the world has have evolved as well, but also just, um, yeah, did you have to pivot? We've certainly updated some of the modules. We've brought in new ones. We've got rid of old ones. We've refined them. There is a game we do called Telephone, and it began with a telephone and answering machine. Students in school today yeah. probably have never seen an answering machine. <laughs> some of them might not be familiar with the telephone, but we, we, we updated it. We have a version where we use Skype or uh, yeah. we don't call it Skype, we call it a different name, but video okay. calling system. Yeah. We also, last year, we went virtual because yeah. MIT was virtual for the year. That was challenging. We did some activities actually in Minecraft. Wow. Of all things. Yeah. So we, we have done some major adjustments when the world required it, but we're back in person this year. Uh, but we, I think some of it we have learned, we can do some in different ways. That was one of the silver linings of pandemic. Yeah. You recognize you can do things differently and in some cases, even more advantageously. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> you could make like a whole history class as well, right? About the um, answering machine. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I actually, one of the classes I took at MIT was called telephony. It was on the history of the telephone system, the telecom system. Yeah. He began the very first class. This was in the 90s. He had a cell phone with him. He took the cell phone and he called a phone that was over 100 years old. And when I say phone, this was a wooden board with the oh, old yeah. speaker and microphone. No, no dial. This was, hello, operator, please connect me. But he had it wired up and called a hundred years across time effectively. And yeah. we learned about how the first systems worked and evolved. And that was a fascinating class. Wow. <laughs> That's fun. Um, in, in the role as a leader, um, you have to understand your team and, and sometimes you also need to go in and negotiate. It can be if it's for a new job, but it can also be to negotiate just on how you are, you know, if you're updating a process or understanding your customers. Um, just making sure you actually are listening to, to the whole team and listening to everyone. So I know you have a chapter in, you, in your book about negotiation. So can you dive into that a little bit more? Sure. Negotiation, really important skill. And most people think of negotiations as salary, as a sale, a vendor, a partnership. But as you were pointing out, we negotiate all the time 
often with our own coworkers. It's not about money. It's not necessarily about more for me, but it's negotiating to come up with a solution to a challenge, how everyone is going to tackle it. Learning to negotiate not only gets you more money in the deals, but helps you come up with better solutions internally. Now, many people say, oh, I, I don't like negotiating. I don't know how to negotiate. First, let me tell you, everyone listening, you are all natural negotiators. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, ask your parents and say, when I was three years old, was there ever a time I didn't want to eat my vegetables? Yes. Okay, so what do you do? Well, I'd say, well, eat three more peas and then you can have desserts. And no, I only want two more peas. Or <laughs> I don't want to go to bed. Let me stay up 15 minutes later. All of us were negotiating before we knew what the word meant. So all of us are capable. Now, here's the most important thing to remember when negotiating. There's lots of tips I give in the book. But very importantly, we're going to go back to sports. When you turn on the TV and you watch your favorite football team, you watch them for, I'm guessing, about three hours. Yeah. That's it. Three hours, great game, great match, done. It is not done for them. The three hours that you watch them are backed by hours and hours and hours of work off the field, hours of training, hours of preparation. We don't think about that. We just think about the three hours we see. And for most people, their view of negotiations are the time they're on the field, the time they're in the room saying, okay, I'm sitting across the table and we're going to negotiate. Yeah. But just like your athletes spend a lot more time preparing than actually playing, when you negotiate, you want to prepare. You want to spend that time off field preparing. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What are the things you might want? What might you want to trade off? How about the other side? How are they going to react? You need to prepare before you set foot in the room. And that's where most of the work in negotiating happens. Yeah. Um, what, what about the with pandemic? It's almost been two years. How has that affected how we communicate with each other? And you said it before, right? That that you had to pivot and be more virtual like everybody else almost in the whole world. Uh, but has that had an impact on how... Do we go back to square one? Oh, go we back to square one and saying, okay, this is how we communicated two years ago and now we're just there. Or have we evolved? Have you seen any, any changes going on? I think it's too early to tell but yeah. there is an opportunity. This goes to almost that learning moment I talked about with my students when there was failure and they said, wait, what, what happened here? Yeah. What can we learn? And companies are at this moment right now. In my book, I don't talk about virtual meetings per se, but I talk about the ideas that underpin that, which is that when we think through communication, it's really understanding when and how we want to communicate. Now, we yeah. all know some things can be done by phone, other things cannot. When I want to order a pizza, it's very easy for me to pick up the phone, call the pizza place, say, I want a large pizza, large pizza with pepperoni and mushrooms. Here's the address. By the way, how much does that cost? Yeah. Done. I don't need to see the pizza. We don't need to discuss what the pizza might be like. We just have a couple simple parameters we need to define, number of pizzas, toppings, delivery, That's it. Phone is great. Text messaging works, obviously online ordering. Yeah. If on the other hand, I was trying to order, let's say a new deck for my, for my house, I can't just call up and say, yeah, I need a new back deck, uh, make it 20 by 30 feet and do it out of pine wood done. 
there's a lot more to it. Yeah. We can't use narrow communication channel like the phone to handle the complexity of the information that needs to flow. We might, it's possible we could do that maybe through pictures. I could send pictures of the area and then he could show me pictures of other things he's done. I said, oh, I like this color. I like the style that can work. Obviously, if he comes to my house and says, show me what you want, and we show the area and we talk about all, it's even better. So yeah. different communication channels with different width in terms of bandwidth can make certain things easier or harder. Once we understand that, we can begin to understand when is it okay to use Zoom or phone or Slack, which channel do we want? And so as we're leading, it's fine to say, by the way, everyone, I just want to give you an update on here's how the project's progressing. No problem. I can do that through Zoom. If, however, I am about to announce 10% of the company is getting laid off, doing that on Zoom, the words can come across, yeah. but it's harder for me to convey that emotion. I can't read the room on Zoom. I can in person. I can feel how are people reacting? Are they really down? You can get that energy. You yeah. can't get that through Zoom. So that's where different bandwidth for different channels. And we just need to be aware of that and select the appropriate channel for the message and interaction that we're trying to get. Yeah. Yeah. And understand the audience, right? Or your customers on, on, every, yes. on every level. Um, so to talking about then leadership or leaders, the, the qualities that you need to have to be a leader, and we already touched some of them, right? To say in communication, it was negotiation. Um, um, so how, which, how do you rank them or how do we prioritize them if you can? I don't like to rank them because first, different leaders have different styles, different approaches, and certain skills might be more important for a leader for that style, for that situation, for just the environment in which they are. So I don't think there's any true stack ranking of any of these. In terms of what you prioritize, that's where it gets to your own development plan. And the book, yeah. I start with chapter one, how to create and execute on a career plan, thinking about what do you need to focus on? Do you need to build up your negotiation skills? Do you need to build up your communication skills? What skill is most important for you today? In fact, the book is written so you can jump around. Yeah. You want to start with chapter eight, networking, then go to chapter nine, negotiations, jump back to chapter three, interviewing. You can do that. So really it's whatever works for you and your developmental needs. Okay. Um, what about, so you can also say, you know, what's the, what's the difference in between leadership and management? Um, I don't know if you got that question from your, from your students, but what, what's the, what's the different? We get all the time. Now, yeah. before I answer my second section, the book has three chapters, one on leadership, one on the people side of management, one on the process side. Yeah. And at the end of all the chapters, I conclude by saying we might look at them separately. I think of it, we'll use uh, an engineering analysis. I think of vector analysis. You do the individual <laughs> vectors, the leadership vector, the management vectors, but in the end, you put them all together. Mm -hmm. Good managers lead, good leaders manage. So in the day-to-day, -day, it really does blur. You don't say, oh, I'm going to lead at this moment. Okay, switch gears, manage at this moment. You do a lot of it interchangeably. Now, yeah. what's the difference? It's subtle. It's complicated. There are different definitions. But the one I like best is the following quote. 
nobody ever managed men into battle. And when you take a moment to think about it, you go, oh, yeah, okay, I think I get that. It's subtle, it doesn't define it, but you get the concept. Yeah. Um, I wanna loop back to the, when we talked about networking or more the, 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 the groups that you were a member of or that the ones I'm a member of. So um, not to say you, you have to be a member, right? You only have a certain time of during the day as well. You can't sit and be in groups the whole day. Um, how, how do you invest time in your, in your network as well and your relationship? Um, how, do you, how do you go out and expand? Do you stay within your industry? Do you go out and, and say, hey, I can get inspiration from other industries? What's, the, what's a good path um, to, to expand or invest time in your networking? You obviously want some of your network in your industry, but you want diversity in your network as well. Don't just focus on your industry. And I can't tell you how many people have said to me, oh, hey, thanks for your offer to help, Mark, but I work in medicine and you're not in medicine, so you really can't help me. Yeah. Well, actually, my father's a physician. I have dozens of friends who are physicians or work in the healthcare industry in different ways. I know a lot of people in the industry. I can open some doors. You're just looking at me, at what I am internally. But one thing we are is our entire network. Mm -hmm. And so don't just say, hey, you're not in my field. You're not useful to me. Because you never know who that person knows. You never know who might be useful down the road. Yeah. 10 years ago, if I had said, oh, you're in publishing. I don't know. I don't do anything in publishing. You're not of interest to me turns out I wrote a book. Who knew I wasn't planning it? So you never know when down the road, someone could be helpful. So obviously know people in your industry, but don't limit it just to people in the industry. Bring in some networking diversity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said in the beginning as well, you know, understand that the whole ecosystem of where you're working as well. Um, so I like to, to ask the questions, right? How do you add value to the company? Or if you're expanding your team and you have to explain, you know, this is what I do, you can say, hey, this is how I add value to, to, to the company. Um, so I, I believe that's a really good question uh, to, to, get, to get started. Um, any other good questions uh, that you will say, hey, if, if, when you want to get the whole team or the whole organization to, to understand the, the bigger ecosystem of, of the company, what, what else should you be asking? Well, let's first take a moment to really emphasize the importance of this. I've been in so many companies where people within my department, often product and engineering, don't really understand what other parts of the company do. They get, oh, we're software engineers. We build the software that we sell. I know how I add value. Isn't it kind of obvious? Well, okay. To a first order, you're right. Yeah. But first you understand what the other departments do. Now, so often I see, they don't even know the names of people sitting 30 feet away. So, oh, they're in the finance department. I think her name is Sarah, maybe. I don't know. I heard it once at some company meeting. I don't really know her. She's 30 feet away from you. She's been sitting there the last six months get to know her, get to know her department, get to know what it is that they do. My engineers, when I show up, think finance, they're just, they cash the checks from our customers. They write checks to our suppliers. I guess they tally the books, right? That's all there is to it. Well, yeah. sure, they do that. They also extend credit. They also plan out the budget to figure out, can we hire 
six developers or 16 developers this year. They help us raise money. There's a whole bunch of other things, but they don't take the time to learn it. And when you understand what these other groups do. So what I do is every month I hold a team meeting where we talk about big picture issues, what's happening in our department, but I try to bring in someone from another department from finance or sales or someone else. So they get that exposure. They start to understand. Because if, for example, one of the things that finance does is they extend credit to customers, well, they have to do some type of credit check. And there's no credit score for companies. They don't say, oh, your credit score is 718. Okay, you're, you're eligible for a loan from us. They have to figure out, is a customer credit worthy? Well, maybe why don't you understand that? You say, hey, you know what? I now realize finance is trying to figure out, is a customer credit worthy? Yeah. I can maybe pull out some metrics from how they use it. Or maybe, for example, we can create metrics for how often a customer logs into the system and we give sales a heads up because someone who logs in every day, those sales, they're easy. Salesperson says, hey, you're up for renewal. Oh, great. You're happy. Done. Someone who hasn't logged in in the last three weeks, give the salesperson a heads up and say, you know, maybe they're not as engaged with the software. Be prepared for a different type of sales call. We as engineers can figure that out, get that from a salesperson might not think of it. So by understanding what other parts of the company do, how they work, we can figure out how we can add value. And I gave the example of software engineers building in features, but all of us in each department can figure out ways to add value and help the other departments and help deliver value to our customers. I like that. It's, uh, yeah, it's great. So we learn every day, uh, we get wiser every day as well. So if you had to, uh, to give yourself an advice for like for 10 years ago with the knowledge you have today, what will you, what will you tell yourself? Invest in these skills. Obviously keep investing in your technical skills, which for me is software engineering. For you, it might be engineering or finance or sales or marketing, whatever your domain is. Yeah. But invest in these other skills even if you want to be an individual contributor, even if you say I'm at the role I'm happy with, getting better at these skills will lead to a better long-term impact, more success, more money often, more happiness. And you don't have to be the world's best. Just getting a little bit better at these skills will have a compounding effect over the rest of your career. Good advice. So if somebody wants to reach out to you or read the book, because we mentioned the book <laughs> a couple of times, uh, where can they find you? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can see where to buy the book, learn more about it. You can get in touch with me, follow me on social media. There's additional content. I put out new articles each week. There's the app page. There's a free app available from the Android and iPhone store, and the app page will take you there. There's also the resources page that has free downloads, like the one I mentioned on how to create these peer learning groups. I link to other free resources online and other books I recommend. All of this is at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Awesome. And I will make a link as well uh, in, the, in the notes. So uh, well, it will be right there. So thank you so much. It was, it was great speaking to you today. And I, I can't wait to make this book an audiobook, right? Because then I'll, I'll definitely get it. <laughs> Well, in the meantime, you can definitely get the content through the app. I will. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks. If you enjoy this podcast, maybe you'd like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure also to check out our website, mindtheinnovation.com. And remember, stay curious and keep learning.